I would love to know what is the Enneagram and why should we care? Well, you know, I love that question. The Enneagram, as you know, is one of my favorite systems of development that I use for people. And that's actually what I call it. I don't even really refer to it as a tool or an assessment. I call the Enneagram a system of development and self-awareness. And the reason why I call it a system is because the Enneagram is an opportunity for people to learn about their unique Enneagram type, but also to use the Enneagram as a map to develop into their best self. You're burnt out or well on your way there. You're in a constant state of efforting, hustling, and wanting. And frankly, it's exhausting. I'm Dr. Mandy Leto, a self-described recovering overachiever, and I get it. These are the conversations to help you navigate your own self-discovery. Here, you are brave, imperfect, and whole just as you are. Because enough isn't somewhere you get to, a finish line, a title, a state of grace. It's something you choose. Nobody is coming to save you. The beautiful thing is, you get to save yourself, and I'm walking this journey with you. It's time to be more while doing less. Welcome to Enough. Does this sound familiar? You're down on yourself, you feel bad, you feel not good enough, your emotional regulation is out the window because you're exhausted. Then you find evidence for your not enoughness. How come other people are thriving? What are they doing that I can't do? They're better than me. I suck. Wah, wah, wah. Then we're in the suckage, right? Of I can't keep it together, there's something wrong with me. And then you claw yourself back up to feeling good by overgiving, overfunctioning, and then you get exhausted again. And the whole sorry cycle begins again. If this sounds familiar, today's pen and paper episode is for you. First, a word on this new type of episode. Interspersed between your usual podcast interviews, I wanted to create something really practical. So to bring in an expert who will give you a tool that you can start to implement in your life straight away. So today we have master coach and Enneagram practitioner, Hayden Lee, sharing one of the most powerful tools that I used as a recovering overachiever and people pleaser. Hayden is going to introduce us to the Enneagram, which is a system of development and self-awareness. It's not just a tool. It's a map that we can start to understand what is that burning little motor underneath our behaviors? What motivates us to behave the way that we do, particularly when we're not feeling good enough about ourselves? Hayden's gonna give it that slant today. So he's going to explain to us what the Enneagram is and why we should care. And you'll have an opportunity at the end if you want to, to take the Enneagram test via a link that he'll supply to you. But in the meantime, grab your cuppa, get your pen and your pad, and I will be right back with Mr. Hayden Lee. Hayden, I'm so excited to finally have you on the podcast. Welcome to the Journey to Enough. Thanks for being with us today. Yes, I'm so excited. Thanks for uh, having me, Mandy. 
So let's jump right in. I would love to know what is the Enneagram and why should we care? Well, you know, I love that question. The Enneagram, as you know, is one of my favorite systems of development that I use for people. And that's actually what I call it. I don't even really refer to it as a tool or an assessment. I call the Enneagram a system of development and self-awareness. And the reason why I call it a system is because the Enneagram is an opportunity for people to learn about their unique Enneagram type, but also to use the Enneagram as a map to develop into their best self. So although there's a nine types on the Enneagram based on one's core motivation, which is you know what drives them as a human, the Enneagram is also an opportunity for people to learn how to use it as a roadmap to really develop their strengths, really be aware of their blind spots, and really develop into the best version of their type. Yeah, that's how I refer to it. Because for me, you know, as someone who's been studying it for a a decade, it's much more than uh, just a typing tool. It really is an opportunity to use it as a development tool. And ever since I've got my Enneagram done by you, I notice things I didn't notice before. I notice my behavior in terms of triggers and how I can sidestep those. So this is one one reason I wanted to have you on for our workshop pen and paper episodes, because this stuff can actually really change how you relate to situations. It can understand, you can understand about what gets you out of bed in the morning, why you're behaving in a certain way. So it's very, very practical, which is why I'm delighted. So some of us may have had something like a Myers-Briggs back in the old day, if we ever worked in corporate. How does the Enneagram differ from Myers-Briggs? Yeah, great question. I think there's many assessments out there, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Strength Finders, and those are all really great. You know, those are well and good. The Enneagram is different though, because most assessments talk about behavior, talk about people's behavior patterns, where the Enneagram goes deeper to talk about the motivation behind the behavior. It helps us understand why we do what we do, and it helps us understand why other people do what they do. So, you know, the iceberg metaphor, you know, many assessments like Myers-Briggs identifies what's happening on the top of the iceberg. The Enneagram goes deeper to help us understand what's happening in the bottom of the iceberg. And then our, we understand our behavior through the lens of what motivates that behavior. And it's quite fascinating. Uh, and when we understand why we do what we do, then we're, it leads to more sustainable change and to deeper awareness. I love that. So let's dive in. One of the things that I love about this, and I'm going to invite you as a listener to see if you can identify your type as Hayden gives us a couple of identifiers. And what I know from you, Hayden, is it's it's really that we have tendencies to, we have all of the different types in us. So if you're figuring out like, oh, that sounds like me. And then you hear the next one, like, oh, that sounds like me too. So we have, how would you define that? So we're not necessarily fully one type, but we might have behaviors, more behaviors Mm. in one type than another? Correct. So the Enneagram is symbol actually is a circle. And then there's the nine types are all around the circle. And the Enneagram is about wholeness. It's a journey to being whole. So with that, so all nine types are actually within us, but there is one core type that jumps out the most. There is one core type that drives um, our motivation the most. 
And when you really understand and embrace that core type, then you can actually learn how to draw upon the strengths of the other types to be the best of your type. So oftentimes people say, I don't like being in a box. or I don't like these type of assessments that puts me in a box. And I always say, actually, the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box. It sheds light on the box that you put yourself in. Oh, mic drop right there, right from the outset. (laughs) Absolutely. That blows people's mind. Because whether we like it or not, we have put ourselves in a box. We have default behavior patterns, action patterns, and feeling patterns, whether they're conscious or subconscious. And when it's sh- when we shed light on it, ooh, that's when you can actually make intentional efforts to improve and change and grow. Okay, I'm so excited to jump in. What shall we do? Shall we just start literally around the clock face and go around each of the... Now I'm hesitant to use the word type, but for our purposes, we'll use it. So shall we start with the ones? Yeah, we can start with the ones. And I want to emphasize the nine types are all have a number and a nickname. And the number does not correspond to rank. <laughs> it's not a ranking. The type one does not mean it's the best. I'm a type three and I'll understand I'll, I'll let you all know why it's not a rank in a second. Mandy will understand that too. So it's not a competition, folks. It's not about type one is the best and type nine is the worst. No, 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 no. And also as a reminder, as I go through the, the nine types, the core types, I'll call them core types. As I go through the nine core types. Remember, it's about motivation, not behavior, because that trips people up all the time because they'll be like, oh, but I sometimes I do act like a two and sometimes I act like a five. And I'm like, we all do. It's not about acting like that certain type. It's about the motivation behind the types. So we'll start with the type one, where the nickname for one is sometimes called the perfectionist or the strict perfectionist or the reformer. And the core motivation for the one is to be perfect and to be good to do the right thing. So that's the motivation of the one is to be perfect, to be good, and to do the right thing. So some of the strengths of the one is actually that's a great strength. They want to do the right thing. So they're highly principled. They like structure. They, they, they follow the rules. And that's wonderful. Like we need ones in our life to be able to you know keep us on track, to, to have a really high integrity, to do the right thing. You know, so those are great strengths. Some blind spots, though, of the one is sometimes they may be overly rigid, right? Or they may be a little bit inflexible, or they may be critical when they don't realize it. And before I, this is a really good point I want to make about all the types before I continue. The Enneagram teaches us that any strength in excess becomes your weakness. I'll repeat that. Any strength in excess becomes your weakness. So I have some wonderful one clients and friends in my life, and they're like they're great at structure and regimen. They're disciplined, and then, like I said, there's sometimes the blind spots is because remember their motivation is they want to do the right thing, they and they want to make sure you do the right thing. It comes off as critical, or uh, when they don't mean to be. And ones can be very polite because it's nice to be polite, but yet inside they may be angry or they may be irritated, but they don't show it necessarily because it's not polite. It's not the right thing to do to be irritated. So sometimes it's interesting when you're with the one and they're angry, it's very obvious they are, but they're smiling, yet they're seething inside. And that's- (laughs) The resting um, rage face. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And that's actually an opportunity for growth for a one is to be honest with their emotions and to share it in a constructive way rather than an angry, critical way. Mm, Okay. So that's the ones, the perfectionists. Tell me about the twos. So the twos, we call the helper or the considerate helper. 
And the motivation for the two is they like to be liked and appreciated. And the twos I work with, sometimes that makes them cringe because they're not walking around thinking they like to be liked and appreciated because a lot because twos behavior is is very good. They're helpful. They're considerate. They go out of their way to help others. They flatter people. You know, they they they're so kind. And twos are awesome. We need so many twos in our life. However, the motivation for the two though is to be liked and appreciated. So sometimes the blind spots for the two is they don't take enough time for themselves, right? Because they think of others before themselves. Self-care is very hard for twos. It's very hard for them to say no, right? Because they're always doing so much for other people. And a huge blind spot for twos is they can anticipate others' needs before other people can. Will we'll actually can be a strength, but then it becomes a weakness when they don't know their own needs. Ooh, you know, a lot of yeah, twos yeah. literally don't know their own needs, don't know their own wants because they're focusing on others. All of their attention is focused outward. And it can be scary for a two to look inward because, well, it's scary for all of us to look inward. But the twos, when they're asked to look inward, it's uncomfortable because they don't really, they may not know what they need or want. So what do they do? They focus on others. They just focus on others so they can avoid, as an avoid mechanism to look within themselves. And an opportunity for twos to grow, though, is to have boundaries, to be able to say no, to take time to really look at what what they want what do you want you know what's important to you what what are your needs and another blind spot for two sometimes is when it turns to resentment right because they're going out of their way they're helping so many people but when they don't get the like and appreciation remember which is their motivation they want to get that like they want to get liked they want to get appreciated when people don't show it to them whoo watch out two can be angry and resentful and then even start for lack of a better word, dropping people in their life who aren't returning the love that they're seeking. Mm, okay. Which so, they never asked for any love, by the way. And it's, it's and another overall arching theme that we'll see in all the types. A lot of our patterns is our way to seek love and validation. So for the ones, a lot of, you know, they feel that they can seek love and validation by being good and perfect. Twos seek love and validation by being um, helpful and generous. And then we're about to go into the threes, right? About any, any more thoughts about the twos, Mandy? Uh, there's a lot of twos in my life and I love having twos in my life. And I think what you said right there, that was really important that part of the ways that twos can give, it can be very tricky for them to say no. It can very, be very tricky for them to create boundaries. It's not easy being a two. It's not easy being a two. It's not. It's it's not. I, I have one many wonderful twos in my life, you know, including my sister. One one, you know, and she just gives, 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 but then it comes at an expense, right? Of yourself and, and your own needs. And then of course that can turn to resentment or anger. And I hate to use this word, but I'm gonna use it anyway. Sometimes twos go to martyrdom, right? This this pride that oh, well, I'm the one to save the day. I'm the hero. Only I can do it. If I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. And I always challenge too, is I'm like, well, what if you didn't do it, right? Because every time you step in and do it, you just disempowered somebody else. Face of the two melting. Yeah. That they're like, what? <laughs> and I tell them, you just took away the opportunity for someone to do something for themselves or to learn something for themselves because you, you stepped in. Yeah. So, and so, but I get it. You're right. It can be hard to be a two. And they often don't express and ask for help. But uh, when they do, it's wonderful when they show that vulnerable side. Uh, humility, right, is what we call it. The vice of the two is, like I said, that pride of, I can do it all and I can do it better. But the humility piece is when they finally be like, 
I need help. I can't do it all. Talk us through the threes. All right. So the threes, I, you know, I resonate mostly with the three is the competitive achiever or sometimes known as the achiever or the doer. And I, I know Mandy resonates with the three as well as a three. So the motivation for the three is to be the best and to outshine the rest. So when I first heard that, I cringed because I don't go around thinking like, well, I'm going to outshine you. I'm going to outshine you. I'm going to outshine you. I want to be the best. But then I start thinking of like, well, my whole life, I've always wanted to win the contest. I've always in, in this is so funny when I was in elementary school that we had a multiplication table, like test or a, a contest, like whoever could complete the multiple multiplication tables, the fast, like wins, wins. I would always win because I would be scribbling, you know, eight plus eight times eight, eight times eight. And I was like, we're doing so fast because I'm like, I would win. And then we would have a contest, like who could read the most books in like a month. And of course I'm like, I'm going to win because you win a pizza party. and. I'm like, oh, I'm going to read all the books. So, and it's it's come with me even now, this motivation to just want to win and, and to be the best. Of course, great strengths to that, right? I mean, all of my friends love it when I'm on their team for and at board game night. All of my friends love it when we do escape rooms because if you're on my team, we're probably going to win. And, you know, threes are ambitious. They're, they, they inspire others to step up and to be their best. However, like I said, every type has blind spots and opportunities for growth. And the three, I think, is the epitome of how, it, of how success can be lonely, of how success has a dark side where, well, which is kind of the theme of a lot of this podcast, the journey to enough is for threes, it's not, achievement is never enough. It's like an addiction. It's a drug. It's like, I've achieved all this success. And it's very short-lived, the feeling of validation or the feeling of satisfaction. It's like, you, you got to have more. I gotta it's like going more. to one of those really fancy restaurants, you know, where you get a, something with a chive and a bit of foam and then yeah. you, you, you come home and you want to eat something as soon as you've gone yeah. for dinner. That's kind of what it feels like to be a three. Absolutely. And you just spend a fortune at that fancy restaurant right? and you come home and then you want to get a burger because you're still <laughs> hungry. You're like, I'm not satisfied. I need more. And I think the... The, the three, there's a kind of like a sadness sometimes too, you know, that, you know, the three is it's never enough or they feel like I'm never enough. It's like, I need to do more. I need to achieve more. And for three, the opportunities for three is to really settle in that it's not about what you do, who makes you a worthy person. It's who you are. It's like, we, like we already are enough, right? We hear that all the time and it's probably become kind of trite by now, but it's very hard for threes to embrace. We can't even catch it sometimes. It's like, I mean, I've had, you know, really great news recently. Like I was featured on this like really cool television show in Los Angeles where I'm based about my coaching practice. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's amazing. Congratulations. And I'm happy that it happened, but I'm like, okay, cool. Well, what can I do next? I haven't even sat to actually acknowledge that I had this huge achievement on this wonderful you know, television show for, for my for my business. So I think that's the downside uh, of the three. Is and a blind spot for the three is sometimes not realizing that our competitive nature and our ambitious nature could be a turnoff to other people, which I still don't see how it could be. Uh, I mean, who I, doesn't? I mean, I mean right? Really? I mean, who who doesn't want to win? <laughs> However, I there has been feedback that sometimes when we're so ambitious and so threes are competent and confident yet then it could waver from confidence and crippling insecurity because it is like, Oh my gosh, I am so cool. I'm the best. But then also, wait a second. Am I really, am I enough? So it is that 
But threes don't often show that in maybe insecure side or vulnerable side. But when threes do, it makes them more relatable, right? It really people understand them better and has more has has more compassion for threes because threes can get really like hardcore and ambitious. Oh, but yeah, my I, shoulders a couple of inches hearing that. So yeah. what about our fours? Our fours. So our fours mode are sometimes called the creative or the intense creative. The fours motivation is to be unique and authentic, right? So fours are very expressive and emotionally expressive. They're very much in tune with their emotions and they they see the beauty and the dark side of everything, which is really cool. They And some of the blind spots of the, of the four though is because they kind of see the dark side and the light side of everything, they can oftentimes focus on what's missing instead of what's there. Fours are always looking for their sense of purpose. They're looking for meaning in everything. There's a search of longing and suffering that fours have. So on the one hand, four, and as a result, there are many art, artists who happens to be four, which makes sense because you know a lot of artists and singers and songwriters, it's all about suffering, long lost love, unrequited love. And there's beauty in that in the sense that life is everything, right? We're, and you're a bit about being whole and the four is not afraid to talk about death or darker emotions or the dark side of things. But the blind spot is they tend to overemphasize sometimes maybe what's missing and they don't focus on what's there. They don't focus on the great things sometimes and they can kind of be stuck in their emotions and not taking enough action. So what would be a stretch or an opportunity for a four? Great question. An opportunity for a four is for them to, like I said, make catch themselves when they're focusing on what's wrong or, or what's missing, and then focus on what's there and, and, and what they're grateful for. And to recognize that any emotion they feel, especially negative emotion, that it will pass, right? That it will pass. And then to think about an action they can take, though, to move toward an emotion that they want to. Because oftentimes, you know, the moods, the four's mood can kind of go up and down. And but in order for them to have more control of their emotions rather than have their emotions control them. Mm, I love that. That's super practical. All right. Hands to rubbing hands together for our fives. Yes. So our fives oftentimes called the the specialist or the thinker or the quiet specialist or the analyst. So the five's motivation is to understand and to seek knowledge. So fives love information. They love facts and they're they're quite objective, meaning they can see things as right or wrong and, and black and white in a good way. In this, the, the strengths of that is analysis, data, needing more information, having this voracious appetite to know more and more, reading more and more. Funny, sometimes I have five friends who, when they make a purchase on Amazon, for example, I'm like, how many reviews did you read? <laughs> How long did you spend before you made this purchase? And they, they could say hours. They could say, yeah, I, I read like all 2,000 reviews of this new microphone for my computer. Wow. To, and I compared it. I'm like, wow. Like my shopping on Amazon is like, oh, it's kind of my price range. It has five stars. Click, I'll buy it and it arrives tomorrow. Yeah, same with so me. Only like, the best ones, yeah. of course, as threes. Yeah, the Only best, the, best the best ones that have five stars, you know, but just that thought process that they really want to analyze the pros and cons and understand everything about it. And that can be a great asset, right? Having a five on your team 
they've thought of everything that they know everything but the, some of the blind spots though for fives though is they could sometimes come off as reserved or even isolated right because they're they're focusing so much in their head they're thinking of facts and data and seeking to understand and as a result of that that could come at the expense of connection connection with others relationship with others because they're, they're thinking of think, seeing things analytically instead of seeing things from an emotional point of view right and as human beings, right, we have the brain in our head, analysis, we have the brain in our heart, which is feeling, but we also have the brain in our gut, which is trusting our instinct and kind of taking action. And that's part of the Enneagram too, which can be a, another episode we do at some point, because there's, there's the Enneagram does explain how each of the types operate from a different quote unquote, like brain, or we call them center of expression. But the five is the epitome of the head center of expression, right? Where it's really analysis and thinking and for fives, kind of stretch or opportunity to growth is, you know, sometimes being more spontaneous, taking action before they know enough, that it's okay that if you don't know, to have fun and uncertainty, to have fun in the unknown. It's very scary for a five to even, and I'm thinking even in the classroom setting, fives oftentimes don't raise their hand unless they're 125% sure they're right. They're very oftentimes not spontaneous and, and they're good at controlling their gut or instinct, but then it's also to their detriment where sometimes they don't trust their gut and instinct. Even though they feel something or know something, they want to research it a little bit more. And then of course, that could delay action, right? So help, helping them um, trust their gut more, take more action. And, and also for fives, to exp- uh, fives love to research life at the expense of experiencing life. That's a huge one for fives. It's, I tell fives, you know, you know everything about Italy, right? You know everything about the Italian villa. You know everything about Italian wines, but you've never been to Italy. What if you just go to Italy and experience it rather than reading about it? And that kind of blows their mind because what they don't see is they're preventing themselves by experiencing life fully by trying to educate themselves on it rather than experiencing it. So what I'm hearing you say now, probably more than ever, and you and I geek out on the Enneagram all the time, is that comment that you made at the beginning that this is really being interested in using the Enneagram, not as a tool, but really as a way of being in life and how we can look at our lives differently, really, truly is being on the journey to wholeness. I love that word that you use, that we're using it to look at our lives and how we're actually sometimes getting in our own way from being in wholeness, thinking that we need to present a certain way to get love and validation. So this is super useful. Thank you so much. Okay, let's jump over to the sixes. Tell us about our sixes. Yes, so sixes, um, sometimes called the loyal skeptic, or the skeptic or the loyalist, sometimes even called the friend or the skeptical friend, because the six's core motivation is to be prepared for the worst, right? And so that's, so that's the skeptical side, to be prepared for the worst. But they're also fiercely loyal and they have a motivation to belong. So six is about being prepared for the worst and to, to belong. So as a result of that, being prepared for the worst, they could come off as negative, or skeptical or, or pessimistic. And that's not their intention. Remember, their motivation is they want to be prepared for the worst. So they see everything. They see potential pitfalls long before you do. You could bring up this great idea and the six will be like, mm, what have you thought about if this happened or what about this? 
And then their intention, once again, is to be prepared and to be loyal to you. They want to help you and protect you. But then for the person who's really excited, it could feel like poo-pooed on. Like, mm, you just, that that's not the intention for the six. Because the six is about safety, right? That's why they, they want to be prepared for the worst. They want to feel safe. And they want to feel protected because, you know, it's kind of a, crazy, cruel world out there. So sixes want to make sure that they're safe and protected and they want to protect and keep those around them safe, those that they love. And for sixes, they're, and like I said, the blind spot could be they appear maybe pessimistic or skeptical, which could be a turnoff for some. But the opportunity for growth for the six is to have faith, right? It's to really move from the fear and anxiety that sixes can have and to really truly embrace faith that things are going to work out and to really have courage in themselves and, and have courage in others. And when sixes tap into that courage to take action, even when they're scared or to jump into the unknown, even if it feels unsafe, they are wonderful leaders. That's why they're oftentimes made called the loyalist because sixes, it's hard for sixes to trust people, right? Because they want to keep themselves safe. But once they do trust you, they will have your back and they will like, Lead, go into battle with you and for you. They will lead the charge because they will they will literally die <laughs> for for you once you've earned their trust and they've earned your trust. That's fascinating. I never thought about it. the sixes that kind of leaders who will completely have your back once you break through the the trust for them. So each of these types, I'm thinking as you're talking, each of these types is on their own journey to wholeness and we can look at these opportunities for growth as where you are when you can identify your, your particular core type, that these are all ways that you, know, you can integrate into your own personal journey towards wholeness and these opportunities. So one of my favorites, if I'm allowed to have favorites in the Enneagram, I have a lot of beloved people in my life who are sevens. So let's hear about those fun loving sevens. Yes, sevens. Yeah, everyone loves sevens, right? So seven oftentimes nicknamed the visionary, the enthusiast, the enthusiastic visionary, or the optimist. All, why all those words are so positive. What's not to love about that? So the seven's motivation, remember, it's all about motivation. The seven's motivation is to experience it all, to experience life fully, and to avoid pain. So I'll focus on the first part. So sevens can be fun outgoing, spontaneous, always up for a party, always saying yes, always like, let's do this, let's do this. Because they want to experience a little bit of everything. But at the expense, though, of avoiding pain, though, avoiding negativity. Because as a seven, why would I want to talk about pain? Why would I want to, you know, talk about my weaknesses? Total Uh, killjoy. It is. It's like, I don't want to talk about, you know, like my divorce or being fired or my addiction. Oh, I talk about that. But then... The, but once again, it's um, kind of like you said, our patterns, our default patterns actually end up getting in the way of what we really want. I'll repeat that. Our default patterns actually get in the way of what we really want. So I know Hayden is talking about Enneagram 7s here, but I just wanted to pause that anybody listening, it's really important to remember our default patterns end up getting in the way of what we really, really want. So I'm inviting you to listen and try to think about what default patterns of yours are actually ninja blocking the goodness that you really want to bring into your life. 
Back to the episode. Because remember, if sevens want to experience life fully, when they avoid the negative things in their life or when they avoid the conversations they don't want to have, they're actually not living life fully. Kind of like the fives who want to understand everything to live life fully as a result of wanting to understand everything they're not living life fully. So sevens on this quest to experience it all, have a taste of this, have a taste of that. What I say is sevens have a great breadth of knowledge, but not depth of knowledge. Right? So they're experiencing wonderful things, but more on, for lack of a better word, or a superficial level or a surface level not really deeply being able to immerse themselves in things because they're moving on to the next thing. And, and sevens, though, are great fun. They're, they're very positive, but they're, they're great reframers. They are the classic silver lining people you know, who are able to find the silver lining at the funeral. <laughs> like, have fun at the funeral. They, I, some, they put the fun back in funeral, right? Where they could go to a funeral and it's, it's fun. And, but the blind... So here's some of the blind spots for the seven, though, is they will avoid their true feelings or avoid you know, pain and negativity, which, as we know, comes back with a vengeance when we avoid the more you know, uh, darker emotions or sad emotions we have. But also sometimes sevens can come off as a little bit entitled or a little bit condescending, not because they try to, but because they're Insta experts, right? Because they assume they know what you're talking about and they'll finish your sentence before you do it because they're, oh yeah, I know about that. And they get excited about the idea, but I'm like, wait a second, that's not what I was saying. And you just interrupted me. (laughs) And so it comes off as a little bit condescending as if, so for example, like I've studied Enneagram for a decade, you know, and I think I know more about the Enneagram than most people in the world, but a seven may have done like a free online test and read an article and may think that they know more than me. Like, oh yeah, I know we're talking about, I'm like, but do you really, because, you know, I've been doing this for a decade and you, you just read an article about this. So the opportunities for growth for a seven, slow down, right? Slow down, be present. Oh, because sevens are always thinking ahead. Oh, what's the next best thing? What's the next thing I want to do? But slow down and really appreciate the present moment. Appreciate the current thing you're looking at or studying or experiencing rather than going to the next thing. And it's interesting, the Enneagram is a map. And like I said, you're able to incorporate all of the parts of you to be more whole. So for example, a seven you know, can incorporate some of the five in them, right? Seeking because the five is all about depth of knowledge. So sometimes the seven can draw upon the five. And you know, if we had more time, I'd actually be able to talk about how each type has a, an, another type they can kind of scoop from to grow and be more whole. Great. So sevens need to slow down when they're on their journey to wholeness. They can slow down, smell the flowers, be in the moment, and really take root a little bit in what what's happening here. And just be careful not to be an Insta expert on everything, particularly when you're around fives. Mm. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right. How about our eights? So our eights, our eights are sometimes called the defender, the challenger, or the active controller. And that's because the eights motivation is to be in control and to avoid weakness and vulnerability. So eights are badasses, really, because eights are natural leaders. And eights have a natural force and magnetic energy about them where, you know, I've led Enneagram workshops and I do a panel of all the eights standing in front of the room. Even without saying a word, everyone in the audience is like this. They're like kind of sitting back in their chair. Fasten your seatbelts, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, it's like fasten your seatbelts. And eights are a force of nature. So on the one hand, 
oh my gosh, what a natural gift eights have that they naturally are magnetic. They're naturally strong and assertive and, and want to lead and protect. And oftentimes some of the best leaders are eights when they're actually doing things for a cause. Like eights will take those under their wing, take people under their wing and, you know, help them. And of course the, some of the blind spots of the eight though, they may not realize how intimidating, intimidating they can be or when eights are not in touch with their softer side or their vulnerability, it can make them unrelatable. They can be abrasive and harsh. They don't mean to be. And I often say eights are the most misunderstood of the types because they seem so strong and assertive and sure of themselves, but really they're quite insecure inside. Kind of like the threes, where threes are super competitive and achieving, but yet inside they're like crying about how you know they're not worthy of anything. So, so eights are similar in the way that the metaphor for eights sometimes we say is they are marshmallows wrapped in barbed wire. That is a visual for you. Yeah. The barbed wire where eights can be sharp and and just assertive and get what they want, say what's on their mind. If you don't like it, take it or leave it. And I don't want to paint a, a bad picture of the eight because ultimately they're that marshmallow inside. They 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 want to be loved. They want to be accepted. They want to help people. They're incredibly sensitive because even when, remember, eights love to take those under their wings. They have a huge heart. And oftentimes people don't see that because they're seeing the eights, you know, being a little, you know, controlling or taking charge. But an opportunity for eights to, to grow is one, share their softer side. That's terrifying for an eight, terrifying for anyone, but especially for an eight whose motivation is about being strong and in control when they actually share their weaknesses, when they talk about their fears, ooh, it makes them such a better leader. It makes the people, it makes them a lot more relatable and their opportunity to, to grow is kind of being more like the two in the sense of like showing more love openly, being a little bit softer and truly helping and, and serving, not controlling people, but, but truly like empowering and serving people. Because oftentimes, you know, twos, they want to help you, but, but they don't realize though if they're being controlling, they're disempowering you, right? So it's so a truly empower and nurture and care. So when eights tap into, I call innocence, a little bit of childlike innocence, a little bit of childlike awe, uh, because a lot of times eights can hold on to anger, which makes them jaded. So when you're jaded and angry, you can come off as abrasive and assertive. So when they just take things a little bit more lighter, eights are wonderful and very fun. Mm. So it's a great tip for their journey to wholeness. And last but not least, tell us about our nines. Our nines, wonderful nines. So our nines are the peacemaker or the adaptive peacemaker, sometimes called. And the nines motivation is to keep balance and to keep peace and harmony. So nines are wonderful. And nines actually sit at the top of the Enneagram because the Enneagram is a circle and you go around the circle, the nines at the top. And oftentimes, the, and this, isn't, this is just a theory. This is sometimes what we say. But often, sometimes practitioners say the nine set at the top of the Enneagram because the nine can embody the best of all the types in the sense that the nine can be like the epitome of like a true whole person because nines are very adaptive. They're about balance and harmony. They're about being able to hear everyone's voice. They're about going with the flow. They're about, but however, they want to avoid conflict. 
That's part of their motivation. They avoid conflict. So remember, every strength in excess can become a weakness. So the nines strive for balance and peace, though, is at the expense of saying what's on their mind or expressing their wants and needs. And then also because nines, though, can be so adaptable and so easygoing, like the twos, the nines can have no idea what they want or they forget their own wants and needs. Oftentimes we say that's the vice of the nine is self-forgetting where it's like they don't even know what they want and need because they just kind of, sometimes we say they fuse. Nines fuse with those around them because if they're around, let's say an eight, who's very clear on what he or she wants, the nine will go along with what that eight, what that person wants rather than really making a stand for what he or she wants. But when the nine is at their best, whew, they are clear with what they want. They're able to take action. They're able to lead the charge, but in a diplomatic way, in a way where everyone feels liked, appreciated, and valued. And they're able to achieve amazing things where everyone is important and everyone is valued. That's why we say nines can really be kind of the epitome of embracing all, all, all the wonderfulness of all the types because nines can be so adaptive. So when they're able to literally take the best of every single type while still standing up for what they want and doing it in a diplomatic way, in a balanced way, and keeping harmony. And the balance and harmony is so important for the nines. Knowing when to be a two, knowing when to draw upon the eight, knowing when to draw upon the six. That's why we say that nine can be like the ultimate, penultimate, you know, expression of the best of all the types. I love that. So Hayden, if I go through the types very quickly, could you give one aim for each type? I know that you've given us some tips as we've gone along, but maybe people have been listening with the lens, listening with the lens, I'm mixing metaphors, but you know what I mean? They've been listening for which one am I, which one am I? So to sum all of this up, if we go through... What would be one tip that you would have for each of the types? Just one quick tip in their journey to enough or in their journey to wholeness, as you phrased it. So for the one, what would be the tip? Relax your inner critic. Great. Twos? Focus on your own wants and needs. Threes? Your worth is who you are, not what you do. Fours? Focus on what's there instead of what's missing. Mm, That's a good tip. Fives? Experience life by not knowing. Go to Italy as well. Definitely go to Italy. (laughs) Stop reading the guidebook and just go to Italy. Get on the freaking plane. Sixes. Lean into faith and courage. Sevens. Be present in the moment, no matter if it's good or bad. Oh, love that little add-on. Eights are barbed-wired marshmallows. Approach life with childlike innocence and awe. And last but not least, our nines. Sometimes you need to rock the boat in order to make things happen. I love that. Okay, well, I hope that's going to get you thinking. Hayden, if somebody's not sure which number they are and they would like to get more into the Enneagram or take a test, for example, or really explore in greater detail the Enneagram, give us some options what you can do. Yeah. Thanks, Mandy. So there's lots of different options out there on the internet. So I'm sure some people may be taking a free test here and there, and that's great to kind of get your juices flowing. But I really recommend, you know, investing a little bit on a really professional assessment that's very accurate. So the one that I use is called the um, Integrative Enneagram Questionnaire, our nickname IEQ9. And you can visit the website at integrative9.com. So I I do offer one-on-one 
consultations with people going through their Enneagram. And then I even offer Enneagram groups, which is really fun. Enneagram groups where I have 10 to 12 people of all different types. And we kind of go through the journey of the Enneagram together. And it's quite fascinating too. Like the first step, of course, is knowing more about yourself. And then the second step is learning about other people's types. It's quite fascinating if anyone's interested to really dive deeper. And I always say the best part about the Enneagram is you start having instant empathy for people because you don't see them as their behavior anymore. uh, And they're not trying to irritate you. You start understanding why they do what they do. That's why I have such great compassion for AIDS because, you know, I said, uh, you know, oftentimes AIDS get misunderstood because they, their behavior can come off as uncontrolling or assertive. But then when you really understand, you know, they're just trying to protect themselves, you know, they want to be strong, but yet they don't want to show their weakness. It just you know, it helps you understand them better. So for those who are interested to find out more about my Enneagram work, you can visit my website, HaydenLee.com. That's H-A-Y-D-E-N-L-E-E.com. And I have a tab about my Enneagram group in there. And then you can contact me on there too if you would like help really diving deeper into your Enneagram type. So that's really a big message I think I want want all our listeners to take away with is the Enneagram is so much more than just like something you talk about at cocktail parties or something like parlor tricks, as I say. Because it's not just about the, it's not like a horoscope you read in the newspaper where it's like, oh, I, it looks like I, I don't know this, I don't know, this person likes long walks on the beach and whatever. I don't know. I have no, I don't know much about the horoscopes, but uh, if you see the Enneagram actually as a development to your whole self, as a development to becoming your best self. And like I said earlier, uh, my first mic drop moment today, right? I'll go back to it. The Enneagram is not about putting you in a box. It's shedding light on the box that you've put yourself in. And when you know your Enneagram and understand the Enneagram system, you expand that box. You actually grow the box and you have more room to live fully, really, when you really understand the vastness. And start living a box-free life. Exactly. A box-free life. Yeah. A box-free life. So. To sum up this fascinating conversation, thank you, thank you, thank you, Hayden, for sharing your Jedi Enneagram wisdom with us. I ask every guest to lay a brick on the journey to enough, the path to enough. And I'm wondering if from the lens of the Enneagram, and spoiler alert, your word may be wholeness. I'm just saying um, that would be totally fine if it were that. But Is there a brick that you have in mind that you could lay from the perspective of the Enneagram on this journey to enough? Well, the first thing that comes up to me, well, I do like the word wholeness, but I think I'll do this. I'll do wholeness and then a colon. So it's a wholeness with a word, right? So the wholeness, you already have everything inside of you to be who you want to be. And you've always had it. I think that's really what, in my opinion, the Enneagram is about. It's wholeness you've you already have everything inside of you to be who you want to be and you've always had it i like that last part i added on you've always had it it's um it's not about what's missing it's not about what's wrong it's not about what's broken it's about using the enneagram as shedding light on what's already there and how you could use uncover it and, and and use it to to grow it's beautiful that sounds like it's both a brick 
on the journey to enough path and a torch. It's something that we can use to see as we, as we go on this journey. Thank you, Hayden, so much. I'm so delighted that you spent this time educating all of us. Super grateful. Yes, you're so welcome. This, this was so fun. I hope you enjoyed that pen and paper episode with Hayden Lee. Who do you know who would geek out on the Enneagram? I would love it if you'd be a good Samaritan and share this episode with them. And while you're at it, if you'd head on over to iTunes and leave a review for the podcast, it really helps a new show to get legs. Next time, I have Emma Stroud rocking the mic. She is an improviser, an MC, a speaker, and a professional clown. She's also one of my coaches and a human you need to know. Here's a preview of what is coming. What I've done over the last seven years, I guess, is I don't feel like I'm fighting myself anymore. I don't feel like I'm fighting myself to kind of be what I think everybody wants me to be and then putting the rest of me back because there's shame or that's not right or whatever. As ever, I'm so grateful that you've spent time with us today. I'm looking forward to playing with you in the next episode. And I want to give a big shout out to Tommy Andrews, who has composed the absolutely rad intro and outro music for us. Check out his podcast if you're a music lover, The Sound Spring Podcast. Until next time, this is Mandy Leto signing out for Enough, the podcast.